welcome to another edition of the Fit Professional One podcast. As always, I'm grateful you've joined us today. We're going to talk about accountability with coach Randy Blaisdell. He's assistant coach in Verona and also an entrepreneur. I'm just happy to have him with us today. Hey, Randy, with that, why don't you give us your background? Tell us your story and thanks for being here. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. It's definitely a subject I, I enjoy. Accountability kind of kept me on a straight and narrow. So that was an important thing. It kind of instilled in me early in life. I'm born and raised up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I was always kind of a hyper kid as a little little guy. So sports really was, took off with me right away. My parents encouraged it. They, I guess they didn't discourage it. They, they knew that was a lot of energy that pent up. I'm a twin. And so I always had that guy, that playmate with me that could always challenge me and keep me going. Again, my parents were really, really inspirational as far as letting me go, letting us kids just really enjoy the sports world and encourage that a lot. I think a lot of it because they didn't have the opportunity or didn't take the opportunity to do that. As I said before, I didn't know it at the time, but I have, I'm ADHD. I didn't know that until I became 48 years old when I first got diagnosed just because my kids were going through some things. And as I was going through their diagnosis, I realized I'm like, I think that's me. And so then I actually went through the our neurologist and found out I was too. So kind of explained a lot in my world. So that was kind of interesting. But as I grew up, again, we did a lot of sports. I really got involved in the Y early in my life, like third or fourth grade. The Y really was probably one of my most inspirational. I mean, would they have more... I built the foundation of me, of who I am, probably through the Y, and a, particularly a gentleman named Greg Bowling, who he was my hero kind of growing up. And I, I get emotional thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, for those of you that don't know, also played quarterback for the Wisconsin Badgers and was a huge part of the YMCA. The YMCA in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, in the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and I think still today, was an absolute oasis for young people. And most of us that grew up in the Eau Claire area spent a significant amount of time in and around the Y, especially if we were involved in sports. Yeah. So... It was, and it, it, you know, it just took me and molded me. It taught me everything about hard work, charity, service above self, you know, the whole rotary experience, the idea that, you know, service, how crucial it is, you know, so service above, you know, above everything. And that's kind of where I got it in there. It taught me a lot about discipline. I, I grew up growing up through that, the sports thing. I was a little guy. I mean, you know, even in the beginning of high school, I was only five, four. You know, and I weighed, I'm not sure I weighed 100, but I just kept going at it. And I was athletic. I'm athletically inclined by no means a far stretch from being outstanding of any of that. But I was very athletic. And I think my enthusiasm and my, well, toughness, I, I wasn't afraid to get hurt. I, I don't know where that came from. It was just one of those things where, you know, you just flew around your body. And I, I think it's just a mentality that you're kind of wired with. And my son was the same way. And my daughter, they're just both that way. They just kind of grew up that. Going back anyway, so as I grew up, I had some really fantastic, I, I can't think of one bad coach I ever had. I learned from all of them one way or the other, whether that's not what I should be doing or, or that's the way I should be looking at it. But I think the one inspirational, probably the most valuable coach I ever had was my JV coach in basketball, Coach Bowman. He really, you know, he would sit and talk to me about just certain side things about why am I doing that or why I'm behaving this way and really kind of honed me in and just kind of harnessing my energy and putting it towards the right things. He was really good about that because, you know, with my hyperness and my active attitude, there was times it got me in trouble and he really harnessed that and brought it back into in line and 
where I can really use that energy to for the goodness of things. And he was great about that. So that that's one guy I really want to put a shout out. I think him and Greg were probably the two most inspirational people in my life outside of my mother, particularly my mother. They just kind of grew me and molded me to where I was and gave me that discipline I needed. I had some other people that were outside of sports world that I also think as I'm growing up that I used. There's a gentleman named Paul Beerson, and he was a neighbor of mine, but he owned his own business. And he would have me come and myself and a good friend of mine named Brian, he would come along and he would have us do work for him. And it was hard physical labor, but you know, he made it worth our while. He was enthusiastic about it that you didn't even realize you were working your butt off. And he came in there and he taught me little things like, you know, you're a walking billboard. Wherever you go, you're a walking billboard. And, and it just kind of resonated all my life. I mean, I remember hearing that when I was in eighth grade. I can remember particularly sitting in a car with him in a truck, an insulation company. We're driving down the road and he said, you know, I always keep my trucks clean because it's a moving billboard. And he goes, it's just like me. I always try to keep straight and cleaned up and hair combed and everything else because you're a walking billboard. And I always use that. I always think about those little things, that little lessons like that, that might not, doesn't get necessarily get you to the top, but it's collectively those little lessons are exactly what's going on. So as I grew up again, I went through high school. I was fortunate, even though I was small, again, I graduated high school at five, six, 136 pounds. So I ended up playing, I played football, basketball, baseball, all the way up until high school. And then I just stuck with basketball and I was fortunate to make the varsity team. Didn't play a lot, but I knew my role and my role was being that pesky little guy that really challenged, you know, all the guards and everyone else. So that I was fortunate there. Afterwards, I went to college down in George Williams College, it was called, and it's a YMCA kind. George Williams is the founder of the YMCA. And so I got a scholarship to go down there and I decided to join the volleyball team. I was talking, doing the volleyball team. So as a little guy that now I grew up to be a big 5'10 guy, but never playing really volleyball for the most part, other than on the beach, maybe in some gym classes. But I learned that game a little bit, did that for a year before the school actually closed down, but loved it. It really taught me a ton because we went through so many things like, you know, we didn't have the money that perhaps a division one team would have. So we were in vans and we stuffed ourselves all into these vans and drove around the country playing different games. And it was just exciting. It was really fun. And you learned about each other and, and how to get along, you know, just, it's kind of that scenario where everyone lived in a, hopefully everyone's lived in a dorm room once with a roommate that you just have to figure out how to make things work. And I know I'm kind of taken away from the sports side, but I think all of those kind of add all those little skill sets added into my athletic coaching, what I use today as far as philosophy and then vice versa. So they kind of go back and forth. And that's kind of what this whole podcast will be about, I assume is, you know, how do they interact with each other and why is one important to the next? Then I went from there after I left school there, I didn't graduate yet because the school clown, but I was really frustrated because my parents, there was another school that I wanted to go to down in, out in Springfield, Massachusetts. My parents couldn't afford it. And I was pretty upset about that because I shouldn't have been, but I was. So anyways, I decided, you know what, I'm going to join the Air Force. So I joined the Air Force and I went in there. I was a security specialist. So I was responsible for the last, last line of defense. And so, you know, there's always a joke about the Air Force being the chair force because a lot of it's sitting around, you know, we got to do the planes and got to do this. Well, I was the grunt. So I was the guy that actually didn't. I had the boots on the ground and we did the air-based ground defense and we were the last one. So I was responsible for the weapons, you know, the weapons, uh, nuclear type weapons that I was responsible for, in my case, planes. So I had B-52s and B-1s and I would go wherever they went. So if they had, you know, I was stationed in Guam and if they had to go, a hurricane was coming, we had to take them on a 
get them over to Kunsan, which is down in Korea. So we, I'd follow that down there. So you followed your weapons wherever you went. You stuck with them. You stayed with them. Then there's other opportunities where you just, you did exercises down the Philippines. And that's kind of where I learned a lot of my discipline and a lot of, you know, can't imagine what you do until you do it. And, you know, I think a lot of people outthink themselves and kind of talk themselves out of it versus talk themselves into it. And in the military, you really taught yourself how to talk yourself into something versus out of it. And unfortunately, I think society's going the other way. It's just easy to talk yourself out of it because there's so many different opportunities. But that's another story, another podcast, right? But yeah, and then I came about and afterwards I actually came over out of the military and I actually, Greg Bolig, who was the youth director at the Y left and I was asked to kind of fill in some of those roles. And that kind of got me into coaching again. Going way back, I started coaching when I was 16 years old for JV coach. Coach Bowman actually wanted me to coach his kids when they were in fourth grade. So I started coaching all the way through that, uh, left. And then when I came back after the military, the AAU program, there's one AAU program in the whole state at the time. And it's a small world this way because the person I was coaching at the time is now my head coach that I'm an assistant coach for her. And, you know, so as we talk in 1990, and she was just, I think, a ninth grader at the time. And so I was coaching her at the time. And as we met years later, she hired me as her coach. So it, it's a small world that went in there. So I've coached that whole time. I've done everything in sports from being an official WIA official, basketball official, into finally getting into the coaching. That was about 13 years ago. I got into the high school, the varsity side. And ever since then, it's my last year. This year will be my last year. And I think I have about 225 wins. And I'm hoping to get 250 by the end of the year. And we should be there. So, Congratulations. And a couple of things. Number one, thanks for your service. Yes. I really, really appreciate that. And as I said multiple times in the, the media that I use for the fifth professional one is I absolutely have a special place in my heart for bets. So thank you. That's my honor. It was my honor. It truly was. I really appreciate that. And also tell us a little bit about your Verona basketball team success. I mean, you guys, not too long ago, you won the state tournament. So yeah, so we've us, been lucky. Tell us how you guys been doing? Yeah, we've been good. So in, yeah, 2016, I think I started in 2011, but in 2016, we went went and won the state tournament. It was crazy, crazy year. And, you know, you always, as a coach, you know, that's, it's kind of what's out there. That's what you chase and that's what you want. And until you get there, it's really hard to believe what a good feeling it is because it's just a, a little side story that's a little humorous side story. So my mom doesn't really understand the whole basketball world. So she, as far as I knew, when I was not showing up for Christmas at times, it was because I was roughing. So my sister is saying, hey, yeah, did you see Randy? They were at the state tournament. So she's watching the game thinking I'm a ref. And so I call her the next morning. I'm all excited. Mom, mom, did you see? She goes, yeah, I couldn't see you. So they were, one was a female and one was a guy. And I was like, what are you talking about? Well, she didn't understand I'm, I've been coaching for 12 years. So anyway, she kept me humble, that's for sure. So yeah, we won that state tournament. It was a great team, a great bunch of girls that have gone on to be, it's credible. You know, that's 18 weeks you're with them, not counting some of the summer sessions, not counting the years before. And now, you know, every Christmas, there's probably four or five of those girls. We, they'll, they'll call me up and we'll go down and have a beer together and just talk. And it's probably the highlight of my whole Christmas. You know, I mean, family, that's great. Their family as well. So just for the fact that they still want to keep us in touch and stay in touch with myself and Coach Murphy and Coach Clark, it's wonderful. It's awesome. And then a couple years later, being 2020, we brought four freshmen, three sophomores, a junior, and one senior 
And we went to the state tournament with that young team. We got our butt kicked that first year, that first game by KK and company out of Germantown, who she's now in UConn. So she's a UConn player, but they deserve to win. They kicked our butt, but it was what a great experience. I mean, just for these young kids to get the taste of it. And well, we learned a ton too as coaches, just how to coach different mentalities, you know, being all young where we won it in 16 with a very senior, junior, senior laden team. This was all fresh faces and they didn't, they didn't know what they expect. And we kind of expected them to know it. And we, we learned a lot as coaches too. So, so we've had a lot of success well, last year. I'm sorry, what's that? I was going to add that the listeners might know, not know in the state of Wisconsin, you're essentially a champion to get to the state tournament, right? Don't you have to win sectionals? So Yeah, I got to win regionals, a, sectionals. So six games get you all the way to the end. So that's kind of a big deal. So it truly is a kind of the tournament of champions, and it's a long playoff. Yeah, it is. It's 18 weeks. Of all the sports in high school, basketball is the longest season. So it's 18 weeks long. And yeah, just to get there, it's, it's pretty tough. You know, it's just like the NCAA tournament. You have 64 teams. You got to go all the way through it. And you don't have time to have a bad game, you know. So one nice. and done. And it, it's an unbelievable feeling. And every year, you know, it just gets you going. You kind of have that grind through that December, January. But then February comes. And knowing that playoffs right around the corner, it brings you close. Yeah, March Madness in Wisconsin's alive and well. That's, yes, that's yes. for sure. And this year, so. this year, we should have a pretty good chance of getting there again. So... Hopefully we'll be there. Yeah, yeah, good luck and good luck with your wins total as a coach. That's a yeah. neat goal. And this is a great time to pivot to why we actually got together. I've been acquainted with Randy for a long time. We have a lot of mutual friends. And Randy posted a post on Facebook and I, I private messaged him and just said, hey, you want to come on my podcast and talk about accountability? So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the start of it. And then you can jump in and kind of talk about it. So I'll just read it. It is the first name of this woman is Mandy. And I've, I truncated the last name, but I'll just read the beginning here because it sets it up our discussion really nicely, I think. So this is the post. I'll never forget it. I was a high school freshman, and we were in the middle of a heated basketball game with one of our rivals. I was on the floor when I heard my coach yelling for me, Mandy, Mandy. I heard him, but I was blatantly ignoring him. On the third Mandy, I turned away from the court to the bench and yelled, what? With my hands in the air to signal that I was annoyed. This coach was not one to mess with. He knew basketball like the back of his hand. And he did not deal with disrespect. His face immediately got beat red. His eyes were bulging out of his sockets. I heard the buzzer blaring for, the, for a sub, and I knew I was coming out of the game. I went to sit in an open seat at the top of the bench, and he said, no, you go take the seat at the end of the bench and get comfortable. So I'll stop there, and you can kind of imagine what happens. But it, it struck me that one of the major, which you were trying to make sharing the post, one of the major lessons that young people learn in the whole Adventist sport is accountability. So if you'd start out, Randy, just tell us, you know, what compelled you to share that, and then we can get into this discussion. Yeah, actually, it was a conversation with my daughter at the time, actually, and we were just talking about her getting into this a new particular position that she is. She's an interior designer actually for the U.S. House of Representatives. So she just got that job and it was being accountable for that position and kind of what she was wanting. And she was kind of trying to go off, off beat, kind of not rogue, but trying to do her own thing when, you know, you can't, you're accountable to these people. You have to do it their way. 
And so that's kind of where it all started from. But then it started, it also resonates to what I do with my players and what we do. You know, particularly we have 10 standards and I'll certainly share them with you, but we have 10 standards that we have and accountability is obviously, you know, the, the number one thing and then being accountable for a whole list of different ways of being accountable to your team and to each other and to yourself. Anyway, so that's kind of where it came from. And I thought, oh, this is perfect because it hits kind of everyone I know and everyone yeah. needs to hear it no matter what. Yeah. And right off the bat, it makes the point that this is transferable to the rest of your life. It's a life skill. It really is very much. Yeah. So. It changes. There is. And we emphasize that every time, every practice we go to, we'll always, you know, we have our standards. We have a list. It's right on our, our locker room door. It's on their lockers, small in their locker itself. And then as well as in our, we bring it out to the gym. It's on a mat that we keep at the table. And so they, it's always there. So it's in front of them. They're responsible. They're accountable for everything. We have a book that they have that has all everything that we want them to be reminded of, whether it's plays, whether it's thoughts, whether it's, it's everything. And we give them sheets, you know, not daily, but darn close daily that they have to put in that, that binder and they bring it to them and it, they can't leave without it. So it has to follow them. It's just like a textbook. And so this isn't one of my questions is how do you teach accountability on your basketball team and you're jumping right in and that's awesome. I, so a big point I want to extract from what you just said for the listener is you don't expect them to be mind readers on this. No, no, we don't. Yeah, that's a great point. We don't expect to be mind readers. So we're helping them along. We're showing them exactly what it is. They know because we're showing them. And if there's questions, hopefully we're approachable enough that they're going to come to us and ask those questions or to clarify it. And we set the tone right off the bat when we have our parents meeting. So our parents know all the parents meeting with the players are there. And so we go through that and we show them everything that's very expected to be countable. We go through our, uh, our 10 standards and each of those standards within them, we talk in depth within them. And a lot of them have heard it, you know, four year starters, I've heard it four years in a row, but that's how important it is to them, to us, that they know these standards and they have to be accountable to them. And, and part of that accountability is all of it. Every one of them is transferable into everything from it doesn't matter if you're in the military. It doesn't matter if you're at you're at Flint, if you're at, you know, at my own business myself, right? Just what I'm doing. I have to be hold myself accountable and my company accountable to everything, just like you do. You know, you owe it to your people, the subordinates to the supervisors. And if you're not accountable, you know, then you're just all over the place, bouncing all over the place. And you, you got to have accountability. You got to have standards that are out there. Yeah, so let's get on the court then. Can you tell us how through the game of basketball with these young student athletes, how do you further enhance the lesson of accountability? How do you teach it? Yeah. So, you know, we start with off season, you know, we start with the off season, what they have to do. So at the end of the year prior, you know, we tell them, Hey, these are where we see our weaknesses. We need you to come back stronger whether it's ball handling, whether it's shooting, whether it's just leadership, wherever our expectations are of them. And then probably number one of all of those is stay in shape, get in shape. Don't let yourself go to, you know, a lot of them play multiple sports, which we encourage, but there's also different. So a volleyball conditioning is not the same as basketball conditioning. It's two different things. And they have to understand that. And we don't expect them to you know, live basketball 24 seven, because not all of them love basketball. Like we do, you know, they just don't. And they're playing, especially in, we've learned in the girls game, the guys game, two different things. The girls really play a lot of sports because their friends are playing in that, that camaraderie and which is perfectly fine. And that's awesome, but they still owe it to all their other teammates to come in shape. 
come in and they got to be accountable for that. They got to be accountable for those skill sets because we need to see growth as they come into us. And that's where we all started as we give them a list and we say, hey, here you go, guys. How are we going to do this? And if they don't know how we help them, we give them direction. Hey, you know, here's a trainer that's really good. You can help him. If you can't, you can't afford it, can't go to the gym. How can we make it happen? How can we, can we fundraise? Can we do whatever? And hold them accountable for them telling us, what is it going to take for you to come up, you know, for this action, for you to become better? What is it going to take? You tell me and we'll help you. We'll, we're going to be there for you. And if you don't know, that's fine. Just tell us, I don't know what it takes. And then we can start talking about that and kind of bringing them along so that they can start coming up with their own ideas of what it's going to take. So in summary, because as we said at the beginning, we want to try to pull these out for professionals because most of us are out of high school, right? We're, we're <laughs> yeah, trying to have our them. best life. And so what's interesting here is, so you're after a baseline fitness when your student athletes show up. So you don't have to do baseline fitness and you can immediately get to other things like skills and disciplines and plays. And on D1 sports, they call it an install, right? A, a new offense, a new full courts press, yeah. whatever. Because if you have the fitness down, you can get right to that. And that's something I've noticed in sports. And you can practice harder. You can practice at full speed, probably a few more reps or a little bit longer time. And sure. what's interesting, I love that about sports. And I want to pull that out just for a second for the professional, because I know you know General Legwald, Scott Legwald, graduated mm -hmm. my class. He and Brian Yolitz were on talking about their military careers and what leadership was to them. And I loved what Scott said. He said, you have to bring character and honor and respect and dignity to the role, not only your best effort. And that's kind of so important that the kids, I don't think at the time, realize what's going on. Yeah. And yeah. they probably practice to them as hard, right? But you coaches all know you, instead of coming in here, they came in at some higher level, ready to really rock and roll and make a difference. I think our careers are like that too. And Absolutely. And so for the listener to think, what is my basic level of fitness, to use the metaphor, that I need to keep in shape with and bring to my career is an excellent takeaway, I think. Yeah, and, I think uh, that foundation again, is Yeah, so go ahead, key. please. You know, that foundation, like you said, that fitness level, that's the foundation. You got to come in there. You got to be ready. Okay. Cause you're not going to, you're not going to be able to get all these installs in, if you will. You're not going to get, you may not even know that they're there because it's going to change. You know, everything's so, so fluid on the basketball court or even in business, you know, just the economy, COVID hits, all this has to be, but if you're up here already, your foundation is solid. So when COVID hit, Okay, how are you going to react? Now, you know, we don't have to worry about this part. You know how to do business. You know business. How are we going to react? And, you know, in my world as an IT guy, we reacted completely. We, I lost 71 people up in Mayo Clinic, you know, when it shut down. You know, they kicked out 71 of my computer guys. So now I'm like, geez, now what? You know, how can I pivot? And how can I be more fluid in where I can be? But I had my level of business was already there. So they already knew I can do it. Everyone knew I had this, you know, capability. Now, how am I going to do it? And that was that fitness level. So then now I start entering these other skill sets that I had to learn. And, but I, I didn't have to worry about how to run a business. And so that was key. Excellent. Now, now as a coach, maybe you can do it through a case or some of your experiences. I'm, I'm really interested in the coach's role in assuring accountability. Maybe the kid comes into the machine, not really knowing what that is. And when they leave, they totally know what it is. And so can you tell us about the coach's role in the middle there? Yeah. So, and this is really easy. We'll go to that 2020 team that was four freshmen, three, whatever. When they came in, 
they just had bright eye. Their enthusiasm was incredible, but I don't think they understood what it took to be in shape, to be in true basketball shape. You know, these guys were, they're gifted player. One's going to be going to Iowa, two going to St. Cloud. I mean, this was a very talented team. And I don't think they understood what it really means to be ready. I mean, at a varsity level versus, you know, eighth grader, right? So here, these girls are 14, you know, 14 and 15 year olds. There's only two people on the team that can drive, which was crazy to think. But anyway, so they're all coming in. We brought them in, letting them know, no, look, if you want to compete with these girls, these other veteran teams that aren't young like you, you got to come in here. So we got them in right away and we showed them, look, we're, you're going to be exhausted by the time you're going to be sore. You're going to be ready to quit. But we got them that level. And it was a little different then because it was 2020. We had to wear masks and six feet apart, blah, blah, blah. But we showed them by doing that, that, you know what? Here we are. We have our foundation set. We know how to coach. Now, you know, life gave us a couple curves there. How are we going to do it? So we just, we did it the best we could. We sat and showed them, look, we got to be disciplined enough to say, okay, this is what we have to do. Discipline was everything. We have to do it this way. We know this works. How can we do it? you know, practicing six feet away from each other versus that's not how the game's played. So we couldn't practice next to each other. We had to be six feet away, but then we had to play our games outside of Dane County where then it's a different field and practices, but we had to just teach them. This is, you know, your mental clarity, your understanding of what's going on. Watch a lot, you know, all the film, exactly what we're trying to do. So they really had to learn a little different than everyone else, but they had to be a little more disciplined because we had to show them so much film that this is how it's played. See how tough it is. And luckily we had that film prior to it, but that's where the coaches come in. We come in and we have to show them exactly step-by-step all those standards, why each of one of those are so important to get to the next level. And without of those, just if you miss one of them, it doesn't get you there. You can't be the best. And we can go to different teams that we've had where, you know, they didn't all buy into everything. And that's our job is to sell that how and why every one of these standards are important. Everyone, you have to be accountable to each one of those. Otherwise, you're not going to be the success. You're not going to be the state champions that we were in 16, you know, and we learned that and that 2020 team certainly did learn that. So, Randy, even with all the games that basketball plays, what would you say roughly, I guess we could figure it out, but roughly what the ratio is from games to practices. So isn't it average about one game, maybe two a week, and then you're at least five practices? Yeah. Or so how I would say five. Work? It's probably closer to four, four to, well, sometimes three to three to two. In the beginning, it's obvious every day. Four. You know, it's four yeah. to five there. But then during the season, during the season, it's usually three practices to two games. Only yeah, because you, you have, you can't do Sundays. So that's out. Well, and the kids need to recover too. Yeah. So yeah. that's a huge part of the program. But what I'm getting at is, you know, when we get out in the real world, it's like every day is game day. So what I'm after here actually is the role of practice, deliberate practice in making the games count and more efficient and maybe win. So can you comment on how important practice is? Yeah. So we sit down there and the way we do practices, we really have a clock and we have a clock there every time and we go through, you know, anywhere from a four to eight minute segments of a station that we're trying to prep for. In the beginning, the first couple of weeks, it's really kind of getting the foundations of what we're going to do. And this is how, this is who we are and find our personality. And then throughout the week, because you have two games, you really only have, you know, you have probably one day that's a practice day that you can practice what you want to practice. The next two days is the prep work for the game that you're going to about to play. 
And that's where it really comes in is teaching these kids, you know, we have films, so we have a thing called huddle that we use and we send to each of them. And this is where you're going to, you know, you want to show a certain offense that they're going to run or a certain defense, maybe a sequence that's going to happen. And so we have to break it down. That's how we're going to, this is what we're going to use against them and show them that. But we also have to show them that we like to wag the tail as opposed to tail wag us. And that's kind of our mentality is so we're the dog and we're going to make them have to chase us. And so we focus on that and that's how we want them to think about it. It's like, no, no, this is our game and they're going to be chasing us. And that's our mentality all the way in there. But that's where I think the coaching comes in is each practice. We set the tone. We set the tone of the energy that comes in there. We set the tone of the discipline, the accountability for each of those people. Each of those guys have a role and some are shooters. We believe in treating everyone fairly, but not equally because equally means just because Taylor can shoot five threes in a game doesn't mean you get the license because you suck at it. So why would we going to let you shoot five threes, right? That's a great example because that's the way it is when we get out in the real world. Absolutely. I mean, we have our role and we're not expected to do the other role. Sorry. Just no, no, that's exactly action. right. Yep. Yep. You know, so fair and equal are two different words and, and two different terms. And that's the way it is. And I think the biggest difference in the good teams is people buy into that. And it, it, it even starts with their parents because a lot of the parents are talking in their ear, you know. And, and so once we get everyone on board, including the parents, we have to get them instilled and, and each of them understand their role and relish the fact that, look, you know, we have a girl that is leaving the team this year just because she's focused on soccer, really good soccer player, and rightly so. But she was our best practice player. She loved getting after it, and she was so quick and just everything that annoyed the heck out of a, a defender that just annoyed the heck out of you. She made us so much better. She had no offensive talent at all, but her quickness and defense just really just chastised and just really got after him and made us so much better. She knew that role, and she loved it. So she, she just went after that with enthusiasm, man. Yeah, so, that's yeah. a great pivot to bring in, I love to call the depth chart player. The player that deep on the depth chart, you don't get any playing time, right? And then there's a segment that gets some playing time. And then you have the starting players. And so a depth chart player, you just gave an excellent example of how they make the team better. What do you do to make sure the depth chart player kid is okay with that? If they're getting pressure from their parents or peers, but you know, you're not out there nailing threes. How do you help them through that? Part well, of we, it? we really share the joy of what they're good at. So we go in there and, and we just share the joy and just tell them, gosh, you know, you're so good at this. We need him. We need you over here and make it just as vital. And you just make it just as important as that person that's shooting threes. So, you know, your job is to stop her from shooting threes. How we get, we need, they're going to face guard. We got a girl this year that's going to get face guarded all day long. And we have a girl that's going to, we'll make sure she understands how vital that role is to shut that girl down every practice and get after it and just share the joy of what they're good at. And that's all they want. Everyone wants a pat on the back. I don't care who you are. That's a big deal. And you share that joy and share how much important, how, what a role that is and how that's going to take us to the next level, how that's going to take us to the state champions. And then tell me about the other players then. At, I mean, clearly when you're sharing this joy and acknowledging their good performance, tell me about the transition you see in the other kids, the kids that maybe get the majority of the playing time. Well, it takes them for leadership. So 
you know, the, the cream always rises to the top. It just does. And and so you always have those girls that are just naturally, or players, I should say, just naturally rise to the top with leadership and uberance. And they're the ones that, you know, I always take them out to, we know who our captains are. We know kind of who that personality is. Keeping in mind that, you know, I've known these girls from fourth grade. I, I run the youth basketball program, so we know all of them coming through. So we know who's the natural leaders and all. I do, Stu. My other coaches don't, but that's kind of my role. I'll take them out. We go to lunch. We sit down and we talk about leadership and what we expect from them and, you know, where this is. And, and so we literally talk about how important it is to make sure it's all inclusive, that this is a team and not just because Taylor's going to be a point guard following Caitlin, you know, Caitlin over at Iowa. And she's like the perfect example. So she hurt herself this, her sophomore year, which was really a bummer, but there was not a bigger fan on the bench cheering someone. So she led by example. There's a video that we hit this last second shot on and she has a cast on her. She was all, out on the floor congratulating this girl before anyone else. It was just awesome. Tell me more. I have a feeling there's a lot more on coaching your captains. Tell me more about, tell them. Yeah, yeah. You coach the captains and you really talk to them. Certainly not as an equal, but sort of as an equal. You know, you talk to them as just, this is real, man. You guys are the, almost like the adults of the team. You know, and give them kind of that role and let them embrace the role. Look, here's what I need for Adia. And show them, you know, here's the girls that one might, and you don't necessarily have to say who they are, but just the personality types and kind of show them different personality types that get a little angry. Keeping in mind that this particular girl, when she was in eighth grade, she was the stud. You know, she was the, the go-to girl. Well, now she's going to have to take a backseat role. But helping those leaders, those captains kind of understand how frustrating that would be. To be the stud and now you're taking a back seat of your ninth on the depth chart or 10th on the depth chart. You know, how can we help them bring those girls along too? Because they're the inside champions. They're probably going to listen to their captains more than they're going to listen to us. You know, it's just the way it is. And, and which is good. And that's what we want them to because they bring on our role. And so we really make sure that we bring them along. You know, we give them the tools and the foundation, the understanding of what it takes to bring those girls in as part of the team. Nice, nice. And so how does your captains contribute or even every player contribute to holding team or creating team accountability? How is the player interaction? We have a rule that if you don't think someone's, we have a part of our standards is you're able to call anyone out. You know, we're not telling you to tell them they're stupid, but if it's a hustle, if it's an attitude thing, your job is to call someone out. I don't care if you're the 10th girl calling the captain out, you call them out. It shouldn't be us because you're going to see it. You're in the drills. You're doing this. You should be able to notice it quicker than I am. And so that's our number one rule is don't be afraid to call someone out. Can you give when us an example up, of when that happened and that really worked well? It worked really well because well, what will happen is someone calls them out. Where they just have that discussion and they'll, they'll go over to the corner and they'll be bitching to each other. They'll be on each other's ass. But I tell you what, they get it. They get it. And, and you know what? It never happens again. It just doesn't happen because they know they're going to get called out. And it takes some strong women to do that, but that's what we're empowering them to do is be that strong woman, that strong player, that person that can get out there and do it. They owe it to each other. If you're not there on time, it's military time. So you're, if you're on time, you're 10 minutes late, right? So you got to be there 10 minutes before practice and you're up shooting shots. Hopefully you're out there. I don't care what you're doing, but got to be your shoes laced and ready to go. If you're not, the other girls are running, not you. The other girls are going to run and we're making them better. You're not going to get any better. These girls have the honor of getting better. And you just help them because, you know, they're going to go and run some suicides or lines, whatever you want to call it. 
we have them doing our ladders. You got to sit and watch them. And that's holding them accountable. You're saying, look, you're not ready to be good. You're not ready to be accountable for this. You're not ready. To be, these girls, we're going to get them better. You're not going to be part of that. So how's it going to work? And we've only had to do that maybe two or three times in my 12 years here, but no one likes that. <laughs> no one likes that, you know, to be part of it. But what's, what's interesting about that accountability, Randy, is that it's making people better. And do you think the players get that? Yeah, yeah. We emphasize, we let them know. Actually, we stole that from our football coach because she does the same thing. Coach Richardson at the time, we stole it from him and he's kind of brought it to my attention or our attention. And there's no doubt because we tell him, look, if you're going to be late and we just, when they're late, we're like, look, you're going to be late. These girls are going to get better. So you guys get on the line. We're going to get you in shape better. But So they know exactly why they're being ran and they're going to be better than that girl. And you got some, you know, you got to come back and come hard. So, so what's interesting about sports to me, pivoting to a little bit of a different angle is, you know, you go to play your student athlete at Verona and you're going to play basketball. It's not too long ago. There was a state tournament. The girls even now, you know, in their age, that could seem like a long time ago, but they probably know of the family, right? Or their friend's big sister or whatever. So there's like this outside accountability, but sports brings this this focus of the objective, a state tournament, which probably as conference champion, regional champion, sectional champion, you know, those goals are being, I'm quite sure, being talked about on every team in the state, right? Yeah. And what's interesting is, is that brings people in and really helps them be focused. Do you think that's a transferable well, number one, do the student athletes even notice? And do the second part of the question, do they take it with them as a professional? The second part is at, without a doubt, because I've talked to them constantly, you know, that team just became special when we won 2016, just because we're together longer. So that's a little different. That was almost a whole different world, a breed of players. But the first part, yeah, it's transferred from each, each of the families down. I mean, we have players on our team that their parents played and like the coach and actually the stud that we have our point guard, her daughter played for me as well as her mom played for me. So all of it is transferable down and they all get enthusiastic. Oh yes. And they'll remember we have alumni night. We come in there we have a list of all our alumni. So we have that. We'll have them come and talk about how special it is to be at state tournaments. We make sure like our soccer won last year, the state tournament, we make sure all our girls are there so they can see what a big deal this is and how important it is to come down and what it takes to get that soccer team to win the state tournament, what it took for them. So all of those little things, it's all transferable down. Going back to the second part of that question, it's very transferable going into the real world. They'll tell you exactly. We have one girl on our team. She's our point guard from that the state championship team. She got into West Point. And one of my sayings, I guess it's me, but one of them is always move with a purpose. I don't give a crap. Just move. If you don't know what the play is, just move. Do something. Don't just stand there and go, you know, what, what's going on? Move with a purpose. That's all I do. And she said that kept her through the military because there's times, you know, someone's yelling at your ear and you're like, what the hell is going on here? And she goes, I just kept moving, like just move with a purpose. Like you knew what the hell you're doing. Fake it until you make it. You know, it happens and it's, it's a very transferable skill. And my mom owned a bakery growing up, ran a bakery. And she said, if you don't know what to do, just sweep. Just, just go sweep. If you don't have anything else to do, just sweep. And that's kind of my attitude. Just go do something. Just move. You got to move. And so that's just one little small nugget of what it takes to get the real world. But those are, I mean, again, we can go through every one of these standards of what it takes. But, you know, owning your attitude is another one that I always push is, you know, you can come out on the court and you can be a baby about it. You can be whatever you want to be, but it's 
you own your attitude. So you can come make this a living, a really cool practice or a really crappy practice. It's up to you. You know, just appearing mentally tough every time you come out there. Appear, just appear it. You might not be mentally tough. You might be scared as hell you're going to miss that free throw, but fake it. Just fake it and you'll be a surprise. It's kind of like, you know, your bad attitude, smile. Smiles are contagious. And so that same thing, but appear tough. Just mentally appear tough. You know, your goal should be reaching for a perfection. You always want to get to that perfection. You're never going to get there, but you want it. That's your goal. And that's what you want to get for in everything you do. So I don't know why you'd go out in the world and not try to be, not reach that goal. I know some people are like laid back, but I don't know. I'm not wired that way. I want to be the perfect at everything you do. And I, I know, Paul, you're the same way. You don't want to just kind of, you know, get on your bike and just ride you know, you want to like, go fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want to go yeah. and get after it. Yeah. And then one, a big saying of mine that I've just kind of inherited recently is how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I just love that saying, because, you know, just simply is making your bed, you know, if you don't make your, if you just throw the covers over, well, is that how you're going to do something? No, you make it. And I, I do it military style. So I tuck it in, I do it all right. That's how I do it. And that's how I, hopefully I do everything. I try it my yard. I try to make my yard perfect. I try to, whatever I'm doing, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I think that just stirs in you and, and painting a wall. You just do it the best you can. Otherwise, why bother? You're just going to have to either redo it again or you're going to have to, yeah, saves you time, saves you energy. So those are a couple of my really, you know. But what we missed so far, we'd love to hear them all. Well, okay, well. Did you come from a wildcat? You're yeah. always a wildcat. And that's kind of the standards that we have, you know, and it's kind of each of those things, each of those standards you have, you know, giving it everything you got, given the attitude, walking on the court with the attitude. Presentation is everything. My coach Murphy, that's her biggest thing, man. You walk off the court like you just lost your dog. Oh, geez, you don't want to do that. And she'll make sure you realize what you look like. You don't hold your head down. You don't put your hands in your shorts and act like you're tired. Nope, you stand up. I don't care how long you've been playing. You just say, hey, I need a breather. Give me this. But you do not show weakness at all. Whether you are or not, you don't show that until in closed doors or in a locker room. I get it. But out there, you don't want to show the enemy that. I mean, can you imagine if our military did that? Or if, you know, you do that in work in a negotiation when you're in a sales meeting, you can't show your weakness. You can't show them that they have the upper hand. You got to be strong. You got to show that. So those are all transferable. And then the last one is just hustle. Just get after it, guys. Everything in life is a hustle. I mean, there's times where you got to relax. And I'm going on a little vacation here on Thursday, but that's a little different. I'll relax. And that's the time to do it. But otherwise, in a work day, and you got to hustle. You got to get after it. And the grind is there. But that's what gets me energized and fired up. And as you can tell, I'm a pretty energetic guy. So No, that's awesome. I really appreciate you changing or sharing those because... That stuff, I think, is motivating for people. It's always interesting to hear what works for teams. A uh, couple of questions as you're talking that came to mind. One is kind of back a bit in our discussion. Why do athletic teams, especially student athletes in high school, why are they so good at creating fellowship that is enduring? Well, because they put in the work. You know, I mean, it's easy to just take your walk, dog for a walk. I mean, it's easy, right? But to, to get up at 6 in the morning... To go through the grind, I mean, it's grind, you know, and to get up in the morning and go do that, to put yourself through everything, you kind of understand what the guy's gone through. You know, it's like you and your bikes, you know, you know what the other guy's gone through. So you have more empathy, more everything. You're like, damn, you know, you understand what it takes. And Especially I when they go by you really fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I ran a marathon once and a guy was in combat boots and he had a physical 
limitation, but I'm running and he's passing me. I'm like, yeah, but I knew exactly, man. He put in the work and he earned that, but I was happy for him, but I was a little disappointed myself thinking, oh, I got to work harder next time. So we got to do that. But, you know, anyway, so yeah, yeah. I just think the fellowship is there because you've gone through it all together. You know, you really did the blood, sweat, tears, understand really what it takes versus it. You know, yeah, it, it's crazy to think that, but it, it's in the military the same way, you know. We, I was on part of this air-based ground defense and we're in the Philippines and, you know, it was 10 days of just getting after it. And you're, you went through stuff that you can't really explain to anyone else unless they've been there, you know. And so you have a bond and a fellowship there that, you know, is today. I reach out to those guys on Facebook today. Just, they don't get it. Yeah, it's, so shared experience, doing something hard yeah. is part of it. And it's a big deal, which is a good pivot into this next question. Really early on in this podcast, you talked about learning toughness. You said, because of your size, I want to cover the small depth chart player too before we go, because I really want the parents out there, if their son or daughter is, they're, oh, they're too small for blah, 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 fill in the blank. No, never too small. But one thing you talked about is, is uh, toughness. Yes. And a former guest I had on said, you have to be tough before you're good. Coach yep. Simmers from North Dakota State University. Cool. Yeah. And that makes so much sense to me. So what I'm throwing out there is the functionality of the playground. Where did you get tough, Randy? Was you it because you had a twin brother? Or what? Yeah, a twin brother. I got beat up a lot. Well, you are. We beat I each other you, up. You are. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, my dad was never one. If you fell down, he was never one to run over there. And, oh, you, you know, you just get up, put some dirt on it. You know, the old saying, right? And that's how he taught me. You weren't even thinking about getting hurt. You're thinking about, damn it, did I miss the ball? Did I get after it? But I think toughness is something taught. I know Jay Billis has a great book called Toughness. And, you know, I think toughness, everyone thinks you're getting pounded and a knife through you. But it's the mental toughness that's probably the hardest part, you know. It's the hardest thing to do it. Mentally tough, knowing that you, if you want to be good at shooting, you got to get out and shoot 10,000 makes, you know, in the summer. That's our goal. So we have a... a Sheep that here, count your makes, man. You got 10,000. That takes a lot of work and a lot of toughness to go and do it and do it. And even you have off days or running a marathon, you know, they always say the race is easy, like you, right? Your race was easy compared to the training. Just every day, you got to come in there and you got to practice and you got to, you know, get out and do your 20 miler, you know, and just every, get up at three in the morning. I remember getting up for a marathon I had. You get up at three in the morning and I'd run, 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 doing my whole thing. And then I'm ready for that seven o'clock meeting with my guys, you know? So you just had to get up early, and you, but it's all that mental toughness that makes you strong. And I think it kind of bleeds to the physical toughness because you know, you've gone through all this stuff. So you're not even think the physical awareness, the physical part that you just worn down, beaten down, you know, in the last eight years, physically, I just let myself go. And then this year, you know, I was I'm 61. I turned 61 this month. And that was the beginning of this year. I said, I, I kind of get back to my playing weight. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been doing this fasting, intermittent fasting. Brian Yolitz actually talked about this, gave me this guy, this Jocko guy who was, you've read his book, I'm sure. But anyways, you know, he does this fasting and he does some of this other stuff that we got into. And that's really what I got myself into. So now I'm well, 15 pounds. I lost 46. I need about 15 more to get down to fighting weight. And, uh, but that was, that's toughness. I mean, that was just, it's mental toughness to get there. And I'm, I know it's, I have to be tough to get it there. And so it's always carrying with me. You know, if I want to be better at something, I got to be tough and discipline myself to do it. 
There's a lot there that you just said. And I, what's interesting to me is one of the aspects is toughness is a process through repetition of doing hard things, especially when you're not motivated to do them. So emotionally and mentally, we have maybe bigger obstacles than physically quite often. So the force applied to get this done is has to do with those reps. 10,000 makes, good Lord. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. To change a habit, you got to do it. We always said to change your shooting form, you got to make 10,000 makes. And that's a, that's a ton. I know you were talking about, go ahead. I was going to say for the listener, what's your version of 10,000 makes? What a great little analogy to hold with you. I mean, yeah, I really- yeah exactly. That's a perfect analogy. You got to have 10,000 makes, whether, yeah, you can call it what you want, but in, in that case, it's 10,000. But how often do you, you know, if you're going to run a marathon, what's it going to take to get tough to do that? You know, how many days of running do you got to get out there? You know, what does it take? You know, I, I know you've read the book too, but that Jim, a friend of our, a mutual friend of ours, and it was the, God, hang on, I got this. Oh, that, the crisis. crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of just discipline. You know, right. he talks about how he went down to the ocean, had to move a rock underwater, you know, just that's that stuff in by those little teeny toughness moments, the little tough moments, build, build and build and build and become, you can do anything. And then go back to my beginning when we always said, it's easy to talk yourself out of it, but it's no talking yourself into it. That's where the toughness comes in. And pretty soon those little teeny rock moving of the rock, they just build up and now you kind of feel invincible. Like, oh, hell yeah, I can do that. Oh yeah, I can. Yeah. And it's like a muscle too, isn't it? You lose it if you don't use it. Yeah. So, so tell us about your process. I mean, congratulations on, wow, like a 45 plate you just took off. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they were exactly what I use, yeah. Uh, it's 45 plate. You just sat down and congratulations. So tell us about that, a little bit about your personal reemergence of your toughness. It had to be, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I just kind of sat down and said, I got to do this because my kids are 29 and 24 and I want them to become, hopefully they'll have grandkids. I want to be able to go hiking with them. My dad wasn't able to do that. You know, he was sick because he smoked and did a lot of things that he wasn't able to do a lot of things with our kids. And I don't want that to happen to me. So that was kind of my motivation right there. And now, then I said, all right, what is it going to take me to get there? First, I got to get rid of this weight. And so by doing that, you know, I, I went on, I started just slowly just getting walking and fasting and eating well. And now, now, you know, I have access to the gym. So now I'm starting to lift and getting to the lifting side where the muscle will burn more, more calories. So that's where I kind of got into it. So fasting, and then, you know, I do the 40, I do the 24 and a 48 hour fasting as well. So I try to do a 48 hour fasting each month and a 24 each once a week. And then of course I do a 16, eight you know, throughout the week, but it's all in my head. You know, I can do it only if I want to do it. And if it's in my head, I can do it. And then it gets easier because now I've done it for, you know, since April. So I've been doing it. And now every time I'm like, yeah, I'm just doing it. It's like, you know, before it was like such an ominous thing in front of me. Now it's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, this is my 24 hour day. Okay. Have other things become easier as a result? Without a doubt. Just, yeah, just little things. Like I'm working with this company, a company that like sells water and kind of like our friend of ours but anyways he sell water anyway so i'm kind of taking this warehouse and just hauling stuff out in out but it's lifting and just kind of you're getting dirty you're grime but it kind of reminds me of the military bit because i'm just i look like hell when i come out but that's just it's my tough i think it's my toughness that gets me in there and just let's get it done you know not worry about oh am i it's just toughness just get it done and get her done is my i guess a saying right so let's get her done and just get it after it and don't don't worry about all the other noise that's around it why you shouldn't or 
what's this going to happen? What all the reasons why you shouldn't do it? Just do, go start doing it, and you'll figure out why you should do it versus why you shouldn't. And that's hopefully what I'm still on the girls is why can't I do that? Why can't I go be a cop? Why can't I go be a one 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 girl's now a, a nuclear physicist? Why can't you do that? You know what? Instead of saying, "Oh, I'm not smart enough," I had a girl that just now she couldn't get into medical school. Tried, tried multiple times, but. Okay, so now what? What are you going to do? You're just going to quit and say no? Well, now she became an anesthesiologist. So she got in their school there. So it's like, you know what? Just get, that's right. Keep moving and say why you can't you, not why you can't, but why can you? So excellent. Excellent. Well, we've been cruising along. Time has flown, but we have some time for sure left. What haven't we covered yet that you'd like to cover with respect to student athletes, accountability, or anything we've been talking about? Yeah, you know, going back to, there's a note here. I want to make sure I got it right. You know, just everything comes down to your foundation. I mean, really kind of who you are, what you're built on. And so you really got to educate yourself of what you believe in. And don't let the noise, don't let the other people tell you what you believe in. But really kind of take accountability for what you want, what's going to make you happy, and use it from there. Not everyone's wired, not everyone's type A. And that's fine. You don't need to be. But the attitude you're responsible for that. No one else. Don't let anyone else tell you how you should be thinking, how you should do it. And I think that's what our, all of our girls is, you know, we don't expect everyone to love basketball. We don't. But you're here for a reason. So some reason you went out for the team. Whether it's just because you want to hang out with them, that's fine. But now your attitude when you're here it is because you want to be here. That's awesome. And that's where we got to go. And it's not to be the number one shooter. It's not to be this. You want to be just part of this team. Well, what's it going to take for you to be part of this team? And again, it's an attitude thing why it's up to you everything is up to you you gotta be accountable all the outside noise you know we all have shit happen to us shit happens to every one of us but it's how you react to it that makes you who you are and what you stand for you know everyone has crap happen to them it's up to you how you respond to it if i go to a hotel room and the hotel room is sucks i just go down and i tell them hey this is dirty room how they react to it i'm not going to leave them as long as they say oh yeah you're right move moving on Otherwise, I'm not giving them a bad call, but it's how they react to it. And that's just everything we do. Excellent. I, and those are just profound. Thank you, Randy. One thing I didn't get back to, and that is the small kid. Girl, guy, yeah. doesn't matter. Do they enjoy so, it? Don't crush their enthusiasm. And that's yeah. a parent's problem. Do not crush it. They love it. You know what? I Basketball, I was a little guy. I, I mean, I was five, six, for God's sake. I came in there. and I was a bench player the whole time through, but... When I got out, you know, now I'm 5'10". I'm playing, I played on this all-stars team where we went around the state and we played all these different alums and I was successful because I worked my butt off and it meant nothing to anyone but me, but it just showed my all hard work and I felt good about myself and then it brought confidence into me and just let them go out, let, encourage them to go out and say, hey, what can you do? It might be 5'6", but what can you do to help? You know, everyone has a role and as long as you're enthusiastic about it, and willing to put in the work to be that person that you can be, the little guy, size doesn't matter. I got a girl that she's a division one player. She had scholarships to Arizona and everything. She was 5'2", but she's tough as nails. I mean, she was a strong ox. She lifted weights. She knew that's what she had to be, and she's quick. She worked on that. You know, she's a stud, and it was all her attitude. Size is just nothing. That's so weak. You're so refreshing. There's a lot of coaches out there that give a lot of honor to the depth chart player, the small student athlete or the student athlete without a lot of talent. The Rudy. Um, the Rudy. The Rudy. And the whole deal is 
I think high school sports, and I, we agree on this, I know, because we've talked enough, is part of its functionality is to create fine young men and women, fine That's young right. student athletes. And anybody that goes in has the opportunity with a good coaching staff to be better than when they entered. And that's where the honor is. And, it is. and the thing about it is we only can control ourselves. I love what you said is you're responsible for your attitude. You're responsible for the whole thing, right? You have to bring in that honor and integrity. You have to do that before the season fitness. What is that when we're done with school? It's the same thing. To formulate those habits, I'm such an advocate of getting numbers up in high school sports and be varsity teams. So the seniors get playing time. That probably our depth chart players. And please, listeners and parents, there's honor in the depth chart players. You know, we both know people with kids that play D1 sports. And what's really interesting about Division One sports, yeah, they treat them kind of tough, but always with respect and high expectation for the depth chart player. They yeah. have a role that they're supposed to really step up to and they go through a lot of guff. You know, they truly might have a tougher road with some programs than others. It's not all roses, not at all saying that, but we can all be, what is it? 98.6 of us hang up our cleats or hockey stick or our racket when we're done with our senior year in high school. That is the population that's gonna be out there in the real world. And it was so fun to hear you, you speak today, Randy, because you're such an advocate of bringing everybody up on the team. And that's really something. I know when we get together, it's never, you know, when I say Christmas, we get together, it's not just the starters that get together. It's everyone that was on that team because they all went through the same road. You know, they all went down that same road and they all beat each other up and they all lived it. And so we got the girl that sat on the end of the bench, but she was a big part of that program. She's out there having a beer with us right now, you know, sitting down there talking about the times that practice and all the BS and the stupid things I said and, you know, the, the stupid reaction I gave them. And I could tell them the stupid reactions they gave us. So we all talk and commiserate with each other. Yeah. You know, my experience through observation, I didn't experience something like this in the sports I was fortunate enough to play in, but since observing teams in various sports, you know, I've seen pretty talented players withhold the ball or the puck from the kid that comes off the bench and more than one sport. And to me, the depth chart player, you know, now it's been a while. It's been a decade or two since my kids have been involved in high school sports or any sport for that matter. And what's interesting is quite often the depth chart players are kicking butt. Not that I think all athletes have an advantage, but relatively it's like there's a bigger magnitude. They went through more stuff. That's right. No, that's exactly right. Without a yeah. doubt, you had to work harder because you felt like you had to work harder. Not saying they did, but you felt like you did. And now it's just in them. It's in their yeah, it's soul. It's a multiplying effect, kind of an upward spiral. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah. Your skill versus knowledge, you know. Yeah. That part of it. And there's another one, the mindset versus the grit, you know. Oh, yeah. There we go. Yeah. That's another one. It's just, you know, it's getting after it, the resilience. Those are all just the thing. The resilience is a perfect example of that. You know, you just, yeah. you don't know any better. That's what you do. Yeah. You persevere. Yeah, all, those, it. all that stuff. So, all right. Think about your takeaways. I'm going to give mine first. So you have a chance to kind of gather your thoughts for the listener, either advice or just things you'd like them to remember. 
And for me, I usually state what I learn and or neat stuff that, you know, sticks to my brain better. The first one I want to take away for me, which I love just the metaphor for other aspects of your life is when you're talking about your 10,000 makes, you know, I'm going to think about what that is. And for me, I think I'm going to think about it in my career with my family and with what I can do for my community and or friends. You know, what are those version of those 10,000 makes? Because what I like is the enduring nature of it and the, the faith we have to have in the result at the end when we're done with that hard work. The odds are quite high that whatever my shooting percentage is in my world is going to be a little bit better and a little bit <laughs> is worth it. So I, I really, really like that one. Also, you use the word, I can't remember what you said, but the vital, use vital when you're describing everybody on the team and you're talking about young student athlete that was tenacious on defense and what that did. And I think when I'm speaking to people in my world, I want to use that word. I think it's very important for your depth chart players to understand that their role is indeed vital. And it sounds like your program does, this is another takeaway for me, a really good job communicating constantly and frequently of what those, why that's vital, what their role is. I mean, you talked about your role in addition to the coaches having even ramping up the communication a little bit more with your players and what that makes. I mean, all those things are so unbelievably important in terms of making a difference on our organizations. And the last one, another Randyism I really like, or your coach, whoever said it, was the walking billboard. And the walking billboard is not, I look cool. And correct me if I'm wrong. I mean business. I have confidence. I'm ready. I'm it coming out. Exactly right. Yep. No, that was Paul Beerson. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so those are, I really appreciate that. And I hope the listener enjoyed that as well. So Randy, can you tell us what your takeaways or advice for the listener is as we close up here today? Yeah, yeah. So each player, you know, we never know what they've gone through. I mean, you know, some of them pretty well, but you don't know really what goes on behind the closed doors, tough parents, whatever, whatever the reason is, but you just never know what garbage they're bringing in. You don't. And that's why you got to treat each person fairly, not equally, fairly. But you have to understand them and try to understand and really get to know, you know, what's motivating them and why would that motivate them? You know, why are they so down on themselves? Why do they get crushed all the time? Or why are, when you're talking to someone and you're kind of getting on them about making this mistake over and over again, why are they taking it either so hard or taking it different than the next guy next to them? And understanding each person and we're, you know, you don't need to know the details, but understand that they're not going through the same thing as you or the next girl, the next girl, the next. Each of them have a different way of looking at things, of feeling things, of getting motivated. And you got to really understand, you got to do your homework on each person. And that's by just having conversations with them, whether it's a side talk or just getting to know who they are and what they are so that you can take them to the next level and help them. And that, that's my coach's thought. Otherwise, out in the real world, I think you can take it out in the real world. Get to know your, your employees. Get to know them. Because what's going to motivate me isn't necessarily going to motivate my, my wife. My wife and I have two different ways of getting motivated. And neither one's bad or good. It's just two different ways. And you got to understand that to get them to the next level and what it takes. And just get them to be enthusiastic about whatever they're doing. You got to come with enthusiasm, you know, and how can you get them motivated with them wanting the enthusiasm? It's, I can't make you do something you're really not enthusiastic about, but how can I get that message? And that's their role. 
Why is it I want to fire them up to understand that their defense is vital to making this, this team better and what that's going to take to motivate them? That's where I'm at. Outstanding. I, again, I want to thank you for your service. Absolutely. So appreciate that. Also, you're essentially your community service. You're an entrepreneur and you're putting a lot into a basketball team, helping develop student athletes for way over a decade. And I want to thank you for that too, making a positive difference in these young athletes that go forward into the world. Thank you, Randy. That's outstanding. And again, thanks for being here. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. I can't figure out what my 10,000, I mean, I'm going to think about what my 10,000 makes yeah, are right now. We'll talk about that. I want to yeah, find that out. And it's, it's time to get to work. Thanks for joining us at the Fit Professional One podcast. I really appreciate you being here. It's time to get to work.